How can we make the world better? By making ourselves better. The Dr. Joe Show explores how you can make positive personal change by using his groundbreaking and highly effective I Am approach to understand who we are and why we do what we do. Your small changes can have big effects. Join us now for the Dr. Joe Show with Mark Stiles of Stiles Law, Thomas McCoy, and your host, Dr. Joe Schrand. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Dr. Joe Show. Yeah. Hey. Very nice, Tom. I thought it'd be funny. Yeah, thanks, man. It was this is a little funny. Hey, just, just so our listeners know, we have a new in-studio producer, Larry Nelson. Welcome to the show again, Larry. Hey, Dr. Joe. It's good to be with you. It is good to have you back. Just so people know, Ben Nipotent uh, has moved on to some other things. He's, what is he, general manager of a whole other station now, something like that. And, and hey, he, used to, he, he went from making the coffee to becoming the admiral, I think, uh, over there. Yeah. Yes. He's in he charge is. of the whole, the whole ship over there. And we are so proud of him, but we get an extra benefit because we get Larry back. Because Larry was actually our original in-studio producer all those years ago. I'm the one that so, made, I made the call and talked you into doing the show. That's, Remember that's, that we had that phone call? Absolutely, you did. Yeah. That's absolutely right. He did. I got the call from Larry. Yeah. So, there's, there's so many topics out there that are just not being addressed, and uh, you're helping so many people. Well. Couldn't do it without all of you, Ed Perry and everybody. So we're really grateful, you know. Now, I noticed that Mark Styles he's doing something uh, with Styles Law right now up in New Hampshire. He will be hopefully coming in later on. Um, so maybe we'll catch up with him too. But in the meantime, speaking of great shows and wonderful authors and amazing people, Tom, could you introduce our guest for tonight, please? Yeah. A featured podcast guest, lecturer, and guest blogger, she is a Peace Corps veteran and has over 32 years of experience as a bilingual school psychologist and administrator with a master's degree in social welfare and a doctorate in multicultural education. Welcome to the Dr. Joe Show, Evelyn Latore. Thank you. Yeah, nice. Welcome, Evelyn, professor. It's, it's so wonderful having you here tonight. Welcome to the show. Well, great to be here. Yeah. So you uh, you have quite a remarkable resume. Tom was just rattling off some things. How on earth did you get involved in so many different things? Where do you want to start? Well, I um, have always gone a hundred different directions at a time. I, I really do have a lot of different interests, and I try to pursue as many as I can. But I have to say, living in other cultures, I when I was in the Peace Corps, as he mentioned, I was in Peru, up in the Andes, and that was a slower pace of life. And that's nice, too. But uh, And that's covered in my, my first book, Behind Inca Walls, and that was how I, I met my husband. And But then we came to California, and the pace of life here is much faster. I, I was just talking to some other women and they were saying the U.S. in general is just a faster pace. And, and you notice that if you spend any time in other countries. And I'm not going to judge whether it's good or bad. It's paid off for me because I just pursued whatever I wanted to pursue pretty much. All the time, you know, getting married, going to school, having children. 
but it wasn't easy and i didn't realize until i started writing about it that it wasn't easy i just did it mm. Mm. <laughs> so i think that's what people do you're put in certain situations and you either take advantage and i tried to take advantage of all the opportunities that i was offered and sometimes it got to be a lot that there were yeah there were times that that i thought i, I will not let these all these demands on my time drive me crazy and luckily yeah. They didn't. <laughs> I'm yeah. glad to hear that. So I'm just curious from, from your experience um, in Peru and in the Peace Corps, what is your take on it? Why, why are things so much faster here compared to some of the other countries? Well, I don't know. This is my guess. If you think back to the people that populated our country from the beginning, they were risk takers and adventurers. And I think that's kind of continued. Uh, also, we're very fortunate that we just have so many things that are invented here. I, I live in Silicon Valley, and I mean, there's always new new things coming here. Um, and in other countries, they're older, they're older cultures, and they're comfortable. Uh, family, there's more of a, a orientation towards family people don't move around as long as as much as they as we do here you know people change towns and states and uh we just do a lot more and i think we do a lot more because there's just more opportunity hmm. and also it costs more to live here so you have to do something that's going to you know keep you healthy and you know earning money it's very true, and, and you have done so many different things. How did you start off in the Peace Corps? Well, you know, I was raised in Montana. Well, you don't know that, but I was raised in Montana in a little <laughs> I town. I do now, Evelyn. Now we know. <laughs> By the way, for our listeners, Evelyn was raised in Montana. <laughs> in a small town in the southeastern corner of Montana. And um, there, there wasn't that much going on, but I didn't know it, because when you're a kid, what do you know? And I think uh, I was the oldest of five at that time. Later, when my parents moved to California, they had a sixth child. But um, you pretty much in a small town like that, you seek your own entertainment. We didn't have TV until 1957, I think. And then we only had one snowy black and white channel. So that didn't entertain us. But I remember my mother uh, asked the school principal. I, I went to a, a school that was grades one through 12 and there were three grades in each room and um and and when when we left when we moved to california they had to close down the school because there weren't enough kids to you know keep it open and they've since mm -hmm. torn it down beautiful brick school they tore down but um she would ask the principal to open up the library for us during the summer and i would just read 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 that that was my a big form of entertainment and i used to listen to the radio a lot and I think that stimulated my imagination. And so then I, I would write things, and that entertained me. The other thing that I did uh, that I, I write a lot about in my first book, because I hadn't given it a lot of thought before I started to write about it, is my mother believed in, she had a real work ethic. And so uh, we were farmed out to work, uh, usually during the summer, to uh, the ranchers. And we would, six days a week, all day long take care of kids and help cook and all the work that's to be done at ranches and i'll never forget that i earned 32 dollars one month for the whole month 
and spend it all on a pair of blue jeans and a, a sweater set. And boy, that taught me the value of money. I thought for a whole month for just three items of clothing. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so it was an interesting uh, upbringing. But then when we moved to California, my whole world opened up. I mean, there were all different kinds of cultures and ethnicities represented here. And so I started going, um, when I was in college, there was a group that would go down and work with Cesar Chavez and take, uh, I I remember going door to door with him to take a census to find out how many migrant workers there were. And we'd fill out little cards and, you know, get get a a census going. And after uh, doing that, uh, I went to Mexico for a summer with a group called Amigos Anonymous and lived there and helped start a school and a library there. And uh, so the next step, uh, the Peace Corps had been founded like three years before. We're about to celebrate our 60th anniversary on September 22nd. That's the date that JFK signed the um, legislation starting the Peace Corps. And that was just a, a logical next step. I, After I left Mexico, I had to leave it early because I went to a convention in Minnesota and Sergeant Shriver was speaking there. And I don't remember exactly but I think that probably inspired me to apply for the Peace Corps because when I heard it talked about, it, I thought, "Oh, that's that's something I would really like to do." So I did. And and, and inspiration is is often comes in places where we never expect to find it. Where would you like to start? Which book should we talk about first? Well, I have one that's coming out on September twenty eighth. And they're both very different. You you can read one without having read the other, but I'm hoping that once you read one, you'll want to read the other one because um, the second one came about because I had written two chapters after I'd written to where my editor thought I should stop. I had already written two more chapters. And I thought, well, what do I do with these chapters? And I thought, well, I'll just keep writing. I love I loved writing. Mm-hmm. So I just kept writing, and it turned out to be another book. But the first one takes place in Peru when I was in the Peace Corps, and the second one happens in North, mostly in Northern California, although we do go back and forth to Peru. It starts off in Peru a little bit and then, um, you know, continues on. And, and it's mostly about making a marriage work when you have so many things, uh, I wouldn't say against you, but that you have to accomplish in order to survive. And there were a lot of pressures on my husband and myself. He came up. We decided to marry because I was pregnant in, in Peru. I got pregnant in Peru but just at the very end of my Peace Corps experience. And I was on my way out of the country, and he called. And luckily, the phones were working. And he said, well, I don't care if you are pregnant or not. Come, I would like you to come back and marry me. So I went back from Lima to Cusco, and, and, and we got married. But then we had to... I didn't want to live in Peru. I didn't want to raise my kids there for the rest of my life. And he was a university student. He didn't know English, and he didn't have a skill that he could be employed with. And his only contact with the U.S. culture was what he had seen in movies and then Peace Corps people that he had gotten to know. So he was very brave in in deciding to come up. And uh, then, you know, within six months, we had a, a baby, and... He was working hard to learn English, and he worked first as a busboy and uh, worked his way up, and now he has a master's in physics, and he's retired too. But what was your question? (laughs) Well, we're talking about the book. So let's start with the first one then. So the first book then is about your 
experience in Peace Corps in Peru and how that led you to meet the right. man who you eventually married. So why don't we, why don't we start there? Um, okay. It actually I, starts with uh, Montana because okay. you can see the threads, like you mentioned, uh, you can see the threads between how my experience in Montana and how that really prepared me for living both in Mexico and Peru. Because in Montana, I worked for on ranches where we had no electricity and I, maybe we had running water or no telephone service. I mean, it was, you know, the U.S. in certain parts was also very undeveloped. And maybe there in some parts it still is. Um, but uh, I loved being in Peru. The, the people, uh, I ended up in a small town just by happenstance. Uh, it's kind of a long story, but. And and with a, a roommate that I had hardly known in training. Uh, interestingly enough, there were 102 of us that were selected to go to Peru. And out of the 102, I think 77 actually made it because they do a thorough vetting of volunteers because they don't want to invest in their training and and then have them leave. But a number of them did. The other On the other end, coming out, I'd say I think they're like 18% of our group, maybe 15% of our group, married natives. There were mostly the guys married Peruvian women, and all but one marriage that I know of is still intact, which is a pretty wow. high percentage race compared to, I mean, I out of the five girls of us, two of my sisters are divorced, and um, anyway. So, oh, right, absolutely. Divorce rate sometimes upwards of 50%, so that's pretty impressive. Well, Peru is a very Catholic country, and so, you know, divorce is look, not looked upon, and it doesn't mean that people shouldn't divorce. I think there were some cases that probably should, but um, anyway, they, they the marriages tend to be intact. But we, my husband and I had to really work hard, and there was a point, he's still attached to his country in a lot of ways, and there was a point that he just couldn't get a job, even with a master's in physics, Partly because he didn't want to lose his Peruvian citizenship. And at the time, if he had become a U.S. citizen, he would have lost his Peruvian citizenship. So he couldn't get a job in physics because you had to have security clearances for a lot of the jobs. So so he got an opportunity to go back to Peru and teach in the university that he had been studying in when I met him. And we had to decide, you know, whether he should do that or not. So, um, and then getting through school. I, I'm going to add another thing that I, I mentioned at the end of the book in the acknowledgments. When we, we went to UC Berkeley, both of us did. I went for two years to get my master's, and he went for six years uh, altogether getting his master's and then his, I mean, his bachelor's and then his master's. But we were on food stamps. We had student housing. We paid $100 a month for student housing. We had child care that was, uh, you know, time to our what we could afford we had all these things if people today had those advantages their lives would you know maybe be as good as mine or maybe you know not saying other people's lives aren't but i just think of all the advantages i had plus my family was nearby and they were could be supportive i paid 50 cents an hour eventually to babysitters that's not what you pay these days no not at all yeah i'm curious so how did the two of you actually meet you um, well, kind of by coincidence, and that's a lot of my first book is just the serendipity of life. It's just, it has always amazed me. What, um, what's that book called, the first book? It's, it's called Between Inca Walls. Between Inca Walls. Yeah, a Peace Corps memoir. 
a piece of, and you can get that on Amazon? Or? Yeah, uh -huh. mm -hmm. you can go to my website, www.evelynlatore.com and order it through uh, independent bookstores or, um, you know, and, and it's at libraries. You can ask for it at your library. People can ask for it at their library. A lot of libraries are carrying it. It's won quite a few awards. It's got a first place. Uh, it's called a Harton Award for inspiration. And uh, uh, it's gotten uh, five-star ratings. It's, it's done quite well, actually. Oh, and, wow. and it was number one for a while under Peru Travel because I, I describe so much about Peru. And uh, so people say, oh, I really wanna go there or people have been there and they say, oh yes, it makes me feel like I was back there again. But anyway, about how we met, um, my girlfriend and I, once we decided that we didn't wanna go out to the boondocks way, I mean, way far away, because we said we were going to be sent way up in the mountains and it took horses to get there. And, and we said, well, how do we get our bed frames through this narrow passageway i mean this is we were 21 and um and, and the other thing is we knew that there was a rule that you're not supposed to be more than seven hours away from a doctor and we would have been much more than seven hours away oh and then the, the thing we went out to visit this this town up in the mountains beautiful mountains and snowclap mountains it was a beautiful place but we were having uh lunch with the people there and one of them remarked something about well in the winter when it rains you you can't get out of the town because the pathway that the horses go on turns into a, a sludgy river and so when we went back we said we don't really want to go there let's ask to go together be together and my future father-in-law who i didn't know at the time was going to be my future father-in-law had been asking for volunteers to come to a little town called Abankai. he'd been asking for several years and some another volunteer said, "Well, Senor Egilus is in town, and he wants volunteers in his town." And uh, we happened to run into him. He, he introduced us to him, and he said, "Oh yeah, he wanted some volunteers there to to work in kindergartens." And we thought, "Oh, that sounds much better." And then he described the town as the Shangri-La and a valley of seven thousand feet. Cusco's at twelve thousand feet, so it it isn't quite as comfortable. And he described flowers that grew there in a mountain and a pure lake. And we were sold. We went there sight. We asked our, we had asked the head guy and he, he let us go. Well, it turned out a couple months later, we were back in Cusco from our town because we were having to go in and get injections, you know, shots that the Peace Corps really, you know, medically, we were taking gamma globulin and all kinds of things so we wouldn't get sick. And uh, we were in town, and we ran into this Senor Egilus, and we said, well, what are you here for? And he says, I'm here to pick up my 19-year-old son. Well, we were 21, and I thought, no, that's a little young, you know. And uh, But it turned out that he was my same age. Because <laughs> what happened was, back in Abankai, uh, the Egiluses invited us to lunch, and uh, that's where Antonio was. Which, by the way... I had to change my husband's name because he's very private, he's very introverted, and he did not want to be in my books. But we compromised, and I said, well, I'll change your name. So I changed his name. <laughs> but it's, it fits him better than his real name anyway. So, Which you don't have to tell us. It's okay. No, I, I so so, so his, his name in the book is Antonio. Yes, right, right. And it fits because we named, and this is true, we named our, our son Tony. So Tony and Anthony we call them um but I, anyway i was sitting at at lunch and we were kind of attracted to each other i guess i mean 
but I, I kind of made the first move and you have to read about it in the book, but <laughs> it, and in the book, people get frustrated with the book sometimes because we go back and forth and back and forth because he, like I said, he was in college. He, there, it was just impossible. And I wasn't going to stay in Peru. I just wasn't, you know, I mean, I've been away from my family and I, I'm quite close to my family. And, uh, so, uh, but one thing led to another and, uh, it's probably the best mistake I've ever made, <laughs> hmm. if you call it a mistake. But. Yes, really. It's a, that's that's a, an interesting choice of words. Um, what would Antonio say about that? Ab about what? Which thing? The mistake. Well, that's what I said. He he didn't think I could have gotten pregnant because we weren't together that much that way. I mean, it was a year and a half that I resisted. I was raised Catholic. And so I knew all the rules and regulations. I did not know about birth control. It had just come out a few years earlier. And anyway, the church, you know, said that was a mortal sin anyway. Um, and so he, he didn't think I, I, I would have gotten pregnant. And um, so I was on my way out of town but the doctor the peace corps doctor said could i be and i said well i suppose <laughs> i mean i i didn't have very good sex education either and uh so uh they had me go to a doctor in lima uh, a obstetrician i guess it would have organic obstetrician and they said yeah the, the test came back positive and, and immediately i burst into tears because what was i going to do mm. uh i i couldn't tell my parents and i really did not tell my parents until my son was born. I mean, they knew I was pregnant, but they didn't know I was more pregnant than they thought when I got back home. So um, that's part of what's in the second book is, is why I had to keep that secret. Uh, can I just read a, one paragraph that comes from the end of my book that kind of shows you what we were up against? He waited a ye year and a half. That is true love. <laughs> I'm glad you said that. I hadn't thought of I've never thought of it that way, but there was a reason why we kept getting back together and there there was definitely an attraction there. So, yeah. 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 No, I mean, these days I know people think that's stupid, but you don't know when you're raised very strict. I mean, you you follow the rules. Yeah. And, so and you, you know, can. just just sort of editorial remark, there's no rush, folks, you know. You 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 really can get to know someone and make a decision whether this is what you want to do. And, and we talk a lot about that. It's, mm -hmm. You get to choose. You get to choose. Um, you control no one. You influence everyone. You get to choose the kind of influence you want to be. We have been waiting to hear this excerpt. Evelyn, you are <laughs> and on. I was just going to add to what you just said is you really get to know the person well. I, I, we, we spent quite a bit of time together. He was at the university in Cusco, which was eight hours away, but his university was always going on strike. And then, so he'd come home to Abancay. Also, um, he had summers that he would be back there. So we, we got to know each other well enough to know that, you know, there was love. And it's lasted 55 years, so there was something there. So. Yeah, wonderful. Okay, That's so wonderful. I'm just... This is, um, this is in the second book, but it, it, it's remembering back. Sitting on a bench in Abancay, Peru, in the spring 1966 evening, Antonio and I agreed that our union would be impossible. He asked me to give him one of my U.S. dollars. I wondered why he wanted the currency not usable in Abancay stories. 
I pulled out a crinkled dollar bill from among the Peruvian soles in my purse. Antonio took it and tore it in half. You keep one half, he said with tears in his eyes, and I'll keep the other half. Maybe one day the two halves will come together, maybe not. If not, there'll be reminders of what once was possible. I took my half and my eyes watered too. The symbolism of his act struck me. We'd each have half of something of value that was worth nothing by itself. The only way the paper dollar would be worth anything was if the two parts were put together. And then there's one last sentence that I'm not going to read because you got to read the book. But <laughs> anyway, yes. kind of how it went. It's a lovely image. Absolutely yeah. lovely image. Yeah. And, you know, I don't think I appreciated a lot of the things between us. Because what do you know when you're young? I mean, that's the nice thing about getting older is if you look back on things that you said, things that you did, how you were, you you can look on it with a lot of compassion. And um, I'm just glad we made the decisions we did. But there were times, <laughs> there were times that I thought it maybe had been the wrong decision. So, mm. and, and that's absolutely quite normal. You know, to to think that it's what you do with the with the question. Once you thought maybe it was not the right decision, how did you come back around so that you had the two parts of your dollar put back together? Yeah, well, um, I uh, he and I got together, and so we put our parts of the dollar together. So yeah, yeah. That, that they say when you write a memoir, you need to have a question that you want answered. And um, sometimes you don't discover it until you've written for a while. But the question mm. in the first book, Between Ink Walls, was how could a young woman who thought she was going to be a nun, because I used to say that when I was all, all the way up through college, all the way through college, I thought, you know, I, I'm destined to be a nun. But how? And then instead of becoming a nun, I, I got pregnant before marriage. So that's pretty far from being a nun. The question for the second book was, how could a marriage that started that way have lasted for over 55 years? Mm. And I discovered the answers to both of them. And if you read the books, you'll you'll find out. And it has a lot to do with what you say, Dr. Joe. It, it, the end of my book has a lot to do about respect. Mm-hmm. That yeah. I respected his culture. I valued his culture. He values I mean, there are th- things about both cultures that we d- don't value both my own and and his but but allowing him to come into his own and 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 be who he needed to be and not who i needed him to be yeah. in the very beginning because my mother felt that uh husbands need to support their wives because i you know this was in the 60s and 70s and that's what was on TV, you know, Harriet Nelson. And, you know, the only one I, that tried to have a life outside the home was I Love Lucy. <laughs> right. And uh, so I was kind of going against the grain. But like I said, I, I there really was a lot of support at that time to let me. And that's how I ended up having a, a career in education. I was kind of forced into it because I had to support the family for many, many years before my husband finally got a job here and what was that like for you to to be placed in at that time such a role reversal now 
think people yeah. would go, yeah, well, of course, women yeah. can earn money just like men, but back then it was not. Well, partly uh, being told by society that I shouldn't have to do this, I was resentful. Um, and there's a scene in, in my second book <laughs> where I felt like I was doing more than my share, and I probably was in a lot of ways, but and he um, went out with a, a friend of his just to shoot pool and have fun. And when he came back, I was so irate with him. I threw a shoe at him, missed him. But uh, that's the only time I've ever gotten physically violent. But, but so I was angry and I was frustrated. And, and I think my kids probably heard that through much of their childhood. I regret that now mm. because as things got easier... I mean, it's been 180 degrees. He's been always been supportive of my career, always, and and believed and and really pushed me to do things that I probably wouldn't have done otherwise. That were were good for me, in terms of my career. So when you threw the shoe, you really bared your soul. Sorry, couldn't resist. It's a bad. <laughs> you and your double entendres. I can't help it. Thank you. Drum roll, please. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I, I think I, I can absolutely relate to that. Early on in, in uh, my career uh, in medical school, Carol and I, you know, we had a kid, we had no money, and we were angry with each other at times. And then we realized that it had nothing to do with the integrity of our relationship, but all the external forces that were imposing on it. Mm -hmm. And this, I think, was a really important insight for us, that the, the, the love and the relationship was, was perfectly solid and meaningful. But there were going to be these external forces, and then sometimes we just couldn't do anything else for each other. It didn't mean we didn't love each other. Mm -hmm. But there was just too much. I was, you know, on call 72 hours in a row, and we had two kids at the time, so I can absolutely understand. And, and, and yet there's the resilience because, well, as in your case, 55 years later, something was very real. Well, and I think, don't you, that you have to realize what really is happening, not what society is telling you, but, but like that you can't change the other person. You can nag, you can complain, but and you can try and set things up. I mean, but for example, um, my husband would go for job interviews, and I could tell when he came back and didn't get the job, he had been too honest. He had not learned how you embellish your resume, or mm. you know, he's just a very honest person. And it took me a while to appreciate that part of him. I mean, he's considers himself a mathematician so things have to add up and that's kind of how his mind works but even you know and one of the big things that helped me was learning about personality types and mm -hmm. um, that that he was a different personality type and this is probably what was important to him and the same things that were important to me weren't always important to him um, but it's paid off big dividends I'd say in the last 25 30 years he does all the dishes. He does a lot of the cooking. He, I, does, I mean, all the things that I w wanted him to do when we were raising kids and he didn't do, um, he does now. So, so just wait, everybody out there, just wait and, 
it'll you'll get your due <laughs> yeah and again you know the the second truth of the i am you control no one you influence everyone yeah. and uh you get to choose the kind of influence you want to be Another message I wanted to get out there is that I think it's so great to get to know other cultures and people from other cultures because you learn new and different ways of thinking and doing things. And you realize that the way you've always been told things are is not the way they are. And mm -hmm. that came early for me from living in another culture. I, I, got, I could see my culture from the outside. I could learn a lot about myself just because I had to, you know... Uh, you know survive in peru and um not that it was difficult that we had a lot of a lot of help there but still you when you're figuring things out you know you you learn a lot about yourself what you can do how resilient you are things like that and human beings adapt they adapt to their circumstances that's why you want to be in the right circumstances it's so true and, and this is part of what we also have been saying all through COVID is adaptation is innovation mm -hmm. you know we we have to innovate because if we don't adapt the um the consequence can be pretty pretty severe love in any language and the other book is let me get it something about inca go ahead between inca walls that's it between inca walls which i love that the, the incan culture is one of the most fascinating cultures ever uh, boy, these were some brilliant, brilliant people way, 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 way before brilliance was yeah. uh, was perhaps a universal thing. So love in any language. I, I'm, I'm curious. We, we were talking a little off, off air about about the title, but it's it's such an important title because this is one of the things that that absolutely uh, supersedes any culture. It's that love. It's the respect. It's the value. This is part of what the I am is all about. We all want the same thing, which is just to feel valued by someone. In your experience, is this part of every culture that, that you have experienced? Oh, yes. Yeah. My husband and I now have traveled to almost 100 countries. Hmm. And um, we learn so much about other customs and food. And, and But people are, are genuine. I mean, the, the people that we meet anyway. And then we've lived like a year in Italy with, uh, we had friends from there and uh, there's certain countries that we keep going back to. Not only do we go to a lot of countries, but we there's certain ones. And then of course we go back to Peru a lot too. You were mentioning the Inca culture. My husband very much identifies with the values from that culture. They used to greet each other with a greeting that said, don't lie, don't cheat, don't steal in, sure. in Quechua. And uh, that's maybe why he's so truthful, um, you know, couldn't fake it when he went for job interviews but um it, yeah it's it's it is a not only that but i love the crafts and the art, artistry in in so many cultures but particularly the, the um culture that's there in in cusco mm -hmm. um yeah no there's a lot to be valued there and it's it's i often wonder what would have happened if it had been able to continue it didn't last all that long it, as a culture it wasn't all that all that long um, but you were asking about um, things that I think are helpful. Uh, I forget how you put it, but you're, you're to go with your principles. And um, I highly recommend people to write about their past. 
because you begin to see these connections that you mention um, if you just let yourself start writing things uh, and you can do it any number of ways for this last book I didn't well from the time I got married had kids I didn't have time to keep journals when I was having kids I did keep baby books and the other thing that I was able to go to to write this book to see what the high spots are because when when you want to put it together in a book I was taught that you look at what were the turning points in your life what were some of the major points and then you see if there's a connection between them and and I'm always amazed that there is Mm-hmm. And um, so I, I had kept Christmas letters that I wrote every Christmas. I had them back to 1980. So, and guess what you write in Christmas letters? You write the highlights. Mm-hmm. This, is, this is the major thing. So I could tell what happened when. So that gave me the chronology. And usually memoir is written in chronological form. But the, you do have to have a theme that goes throughout. And so you, you know, mix things in. But I just found the act of writing brought out so much from my unconscious and things that that I didn't realize things that I didn't know I valued as much as I I did and I also hadn't appreciated how hard I had worked to keep my marriage together and I imagine my husband did too but it's my memoir not his so (laughs) (laughs) and he doesn't talk a lot about it he is very supportive he loves to see me doing something creative but um and I used to, I, I do all my writing sitting in bed because it's just, I know the ideas just come and flow. But so I, I would have a two-story home and I'd come down once in a while and I'd say to my husband, I just love this Antonio guy. This is with the first book because there was so much that was going on, you know, in our courtship. And so for my birthday last year, I got two birthday cards, one from, with his real name and the other one from Antonio. Lovely. <laughs> so, that says to me that he 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 supports he he's he's okay with my writing it, but he didn't want any pictures of him in the book. It killed me because he's very handsome. Was mm. <laughs> yeah. So I, I'm I'm curious with all that you've learned. I mean, how how has this changed your notion of success? Because I think that that is part of this book, isn't it? The evolution of your notion of success. What is success for you now? Well, I think maintaining this relationship, I mean, it's really made me happy as I grow older. Uh, You know, appreciating the present moment. At, At the same time, I look back and appreciate who I was and who I became. Um, I think still you know being able to survive and earn money and things i'm I'm, my books won't earn any profit but um that still is important to me i i hate to admit it but that that's just makes life easier it makes it possible for me to have the time to write a book because i don't have to you know worry about a lot of other things um and i'm just i'm just proud of both of our successes so um I don't know if I'm hitting on it, but, uh, I, and, and I also, I push, you know, living in other cultures. Uh, and I think until, till we're gone, uh, I just want to live life to the fullest and the healthiest. We work really hard on our health and, uh, and we're doing it together. So, um, mm. 
So I guess uh, that's as much I can say, unless you want to ask specifically about your your I am principles. Little absolutely, let's that. do that. What a great so. Thank you for that segue, Evelyn. Absolutely. So the I am, as people remember, is the idea that we're always doing the best we can at every moment in time. This is your current maximum potential. At this moment, I'm doing the best I can with the potential to change in the very next second to another best I can. This is who I am. I matter. This is me. This is my I am. But we're influenced and responding to four domains. Your home domain, and Evelyn, you've been talking about that with Montana. How Montana influenced so much of your life. And then the social domain, which is everything other than the home domain, which was you're going to Peru, which is now moving to California, which has now become your home domain. The biological domain of your brain and body. Are you hungry? Are you tired? Are you digesting lunch? And then the IC domain. How do I see myself? How do I think other people see me? Because the four domains interconnect, a small change in any one domain can have a big effect. We don't need to change everything. Make a small change, just like that small change of learning that somebody wanted you to come to their village and how that then led to you meeting Antonio. So for our listeners, I think you've already maybe told them, but what small change can you recommend to our listeners? Well, listen to where you've been look at where you've been and 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 uh write about it i suppose there are other ways of of doing things but writing to me it it brings something out of the your insides and and you put things together and um you can be grateful for everything you've been given rather than resentful for things that you didn't get the things that I thought I wanted. Um, really, I'm glad I didn't get them. I mean, I, I thought I would leave Peru and go to graduate school and, you know, I don't know, marry a senator or something like that. And boy, am I glad I didn't. <laughs> no, I, shouldn't, I shouldn't bash that. But I do think about that every once in a while. I mean, I, I had high hopes for myself. And I actually was able to realize them because I had someone who was in my corner, a lot of someone's uh, helping, and because I had been raised with a lot of fortitude, too. And you know what the big thing was, and I've thought about this a lot, is that I knew early on what I, who I was. I learned to, be, to know who I was early on, and not everybody has that advantage. And the reason was <laughs> partly because I was sent out to work on these ranches and I would get very homesick, so I had to, you know, analyze myself. But the other thing is my father wanted me to have a Catholic education, so he sent me 60 miles away to go to high school, away from the family, and I lived in apartments when I was 14, 15, 16. And that taught me I had to fend for myself. I wasn't, I mean, it wasn't awful, but that taught me, you know, I made my own mistakes and I learned early. And then I just went on to do more of what I wanted to do and when i always said when i was thwarted i just figured it found a way around it so and that leads to the second truth of the i am because everyone's interested in what you think or feel about them and you know it feels differently in the biological domain if you feel respected and disrespected you control no one but you influence everyone 
Evelyn Latore, author of Love and Language and other books. What kind of influence do you want to be? Are you asking me? Right now. You've got about a minute to tell us. What kind of influence? <laughs> well, I just want people to be able to live in peace and with happiness and gratitude. I, The way I influenced them, I guess, but it influenced me more is by listening to them and ways that that I could be part of their lives and it would make both our lives better. Terrific. Thank you so much, Evelyn. Please, folks, get the books. They're wonderful and you can go to Evelyn's website as well. We will post this on our Dr. Joe Show page. Thanks, everybody. Good night. Thanks, Larry.